Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to another episode of I Don't Know History. I'm Alex, the historian. I'm here with... RJ, the not-historian. Not historian. The one that doesn't know the history. That is the, the name of this podcast. RJ, we're having a particularly chilly episode of... I Don't Know I don't History today. Why is that? Because we are in the Podmate studio. Woo! Uh, it is just a garage, but it's where we record Caprajay sometimes. It's where the Rome Quest gets recorded. Um, along with Book Club, which is coming in February. No central heating, and but there is a nice little no space heater. Yeah, we've got a little space heater by our feet, and it's all right in the summer. RJ um, and I are facing each other today, which we don't normally do that. We're normally no, we don't. <laughs> so this is a slightly different experience for all of us. Mm-hmm. RJ, do you remember what we covered last time? We were talking about World War One. Where did we get up to? We got up to a point where you said, let's wrap up, yeah. Can you can you recount? I can rec- how I can count one two three. No, can four, you recount five, what six, happened? Seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, yes. Ten. You're right. Ten. The tenth episode of I Don't Know History. Well done. Yeah. Good job. That that's each of the episodes. Okay. It was uh, it was World War Two, uh, and then it was the Battle of Hastings. Then the establishment of Wales. Not establishment of Wales. It was the king. Who was the king of Wales? Uh, followed by the oh oh what's this one? What was the one after that? Uh, Oh, was it if American Civil War, mm-hmm. Cold War Part One Wrong. and Two? It, okay, what was in between Tudors. American Civil War, the Tudors? That was the one I'm missing. Cold War Part One, Cold War Part Two, and then World Christmas, War, Christmas and World War Part World War One Part Two. One, yeah. World War One Part One. One. Well, I said to someone we were doing World War One Part Two today, and they went, "So World War Two? No. 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 So obviously that brings us on nicely to World War One Part Two. Yeah. Do you remember what? What I co- back to the original question. Back to the original question. Do you, what happened? Do you remember what I covered? So someone took a wrong turn. Someone went left instead of right down a street. Yeah. Uh, during a parade, mm-hmm. and this big political guy ended up getting assassinated by someone who was just in the middle of getting a sandwich. And just, just that. Oh, this is good timing. And Pretty much. Shot. Then political like nonsense started happening. Um, what was the country that was Austria, wasn't it? Austria, Austria, Austria and Hungary. <coughs> so Austria, Hungary. Um, so yeah, that there was an issue with Russia, wasn't it? And then France was like, nah. You can't go and do that, and they started arguing, and then basically everyone in between was like, "No, you can't do that. You can't do that." Basically. Y- yeah. I oh, would get a D in history. The guy who the guy who assassinated the Archduke of Hungary was Serbian. I did get a D in history. Sorry, was I Serbian. Austria-Hungary therefore declared war on Serbia. Russia came to the the aid of its friend Serbia. France came to the aid of its friend Russia. Germany got involved because he uh, Germany was allied with Austria-Hungary, Britain got involved, and here we are, mm-hmm. basically. We, um, we called an end to part one just after we covered trench warfare mm-hmm. and the, the slowing down of the war. Oh, because, yeah, before, because before the, the trenches was, were just keeping on going. They, were like they kept trying to outflank other. each other and they yeah. got, eventually got to the sea, so there was no more outflanking. Uh, in uh, 1916, the Battle of the Somme, the Battle of Passchendaele. There's only two, two years left of the war, but there's quite a lot left to cover. Like I said, in part one. While there's only four years of conflict, it is a long, drawn-out conflict. Mm. Hence the Great War. The War to yeah. End All Wars. Until World War II. Until the sequel. It's like films. It's like the greatest bank heist ever to. 
So in the later part of uh, 1916, uh, you start to see increased participation in the First World War. Yeah. Now, first, World War suggests that obviously there are a lot of countries involved, and there were. But so far, we've only covered the main ones. Germany, Austria, Hungary, Russia, France, and Britain. Mm-hmm. But you also had belligerents like Bulgaria, which were convinced to join, convinced by Austria-Hungary to join the war. Uh, they helped Austria-Hungary eventually defeat Serbia. You also had Greece, who joined the Allies. And the king of Greece, uh, Constantine, he was pro-German. So Britain installed a rivaling government in Greece um, mm-hmm. to attempt to get the general people on side. King Constantine then died, and his son Alexander decided to join the Allies. Uh, this just shows the political influence of like Germany and Britain and Austria-Hungary, like these great big central powers. They weren't only military powers; they had these, this, this huge amount of di- diplomatic strength as well. The Ottoman Empire, as well as we mentioned, they were fighting Britain in Suez and African colonies. They were fighting Russia to the north. They were fighting Persia to the east. Persia had remained largely neutral before now, but then um, the Ottomans, I think, decided to attack them because they were friends with Britain. And then what brought the downfall of the Ottoman Empire was the Arab Revolt, where from inside the Ottoman Empire, Arabic leaders helped defeat the Ottoman power. Uh, Romania was originally allied so with Germany. So weird that Britain got into a fight with just a bunch of furniture. Hilarious. <laughs> you were making dumb puns earlier about cheese, I'm allowed. Not during the podcast! <laughs> Romania was originally allied with Germany and Austria-Hungary. But because Austria-Hungary started hostilities, right... They turned to the Allies. They, okay. they originally thought that the Triple Alliance and the Central Powers existed as a defensive mechanism. But they turned to the Allies, who had promised them the territories of ba- uh, Banat and Transylvania, which at that point belonged to Hungary. That was a lot of... Um, a lot of Transylvania is still a place, if I'm really... It's not a country, but it exists inside Romania, yeah. It, it, yeah, so I can go to Transylvania. You can go to Transylvania. You won't meet Dracula. No, I know, but I just because he's dead now. Because of like vampires and bleh. There was actually a lot of um, bargaining with countries about we'll give you this and we'll give you that. Before World War One, Europe did look a little bit different. Yeah. Obviously, Poland was broken up. Uh, Germany, Germany had this a, had yeah. this big flary bit off yeah. the side to the right of it. Uh, Russia was much bigger. Um, certain countries in the in the Russian bloc didn't exist. Now. Those are all fairly standard. When we start getting to things like Italy, Italy was part of the Triple Alliance, as I mentioned in, first, in the first part. It was allied with Germany and Austria-Hungary. Um, it, it also argued that the Triple Alliance was defensive and would not commit troops when Austria-Hungary and Germany committed war. Uh, committed war, declared war. Italy also had a secret pact with France, signed in 1902, after the Triple Alliance became a thing. Okay. So... Eventually, they got turned to the British side as well. In the Treaty of London, they agreed to join the Allies in exchange for being given territory owned by Austria-Hungary. So things in the Dalmatian coast, which is over the other side, so like Croatia and areas like that. Um, the Italian war, they mostly fought against the Germany and the Austria- Austro-Hungarians. Um, they had a very naval affair on the Austrian littoral, it's called. So do you know where the Adriatic Sea is? No. It's that sea between Italy and Greece. Oh, right, okay. So there was a lot of naval conflict between the Italians there. By the ankle, kind of thing. Hmm? By the ankle of the boot? Yeah, sort of uh, just behind the boot, if you like. But behind yeah, the boot yeah. between Greece. Um, something interesting that happened in 1917. Obviously, Russia was heavily involved in this war so far. But in 1917, uh, a guy called Lenin, 
but you may have heard about it because of the Cold War. John? No, Vladimir. Oh, shit. Vladimir okay. Ilyich Ulyanov, or mm-hmm. Lenin. He <laughs> seized control of Russia from Tsar Nicholas, founded the Soviet Union, and implemented Bolshevik rule. Oh, okay. He signed so the treaty... So this is where we begin. <laughs> they were, the Bolsheviks were very anti-war. Mm-hmm. Um, so they basically wanted to get, rid, to get out of the war by any means. Yeah. They signed the treaty of a place called Brest-Litovsk, which gave away large portions of the Russian territory to the Central Powers. So a lot of places in Poland and stuff like that that gave away loads of, loads of territory and ended the war on the Eastern Front. They were like, we're done. We've got too much to deal with over here. <clears throat> now, the war's not going exactly how people want. So there are actually peace talks. Um, so offers of potential ceasefires between the Allies and the Central Powers. But nothing really came of it. The biggest thing that came of it from the peace talks in 1916 were the US President Woodrow Wilson asked to be a mediator in these talks. Which just goes to show that maybe there's something on the horizon. Um, what really... You're obviously aware that the USA were in World War One, right? What really pushed... I, I don't really know. I knew that they were. Like, obviously, they can't just ignore the fact that a world, like the Great War is happening. Uh, but I didn't know to what extent. Because well, I knew they didn't really get involved. In the early 20th century, uh, the USA was very isolationist. Yeah. And didn't want to deal with... They were just the like foreign powers, they were like, hey, whatever, we'll do, we'll, yeah, we'll look after ourselves, unless you come at us, in which case, you know, bring it on. I mean, um, it had only been like, a, what, a hundred years since they were like, mm-hmm. really a thing? Yeah, 130 years by that point, yeah. 1776. So, so in 1916, it would have, it would have been I'm going to need to do a whole years. about Alexander Hamilton with you. Oh, I'm doing, um, I'm doing, yeah, do about, the doing about America next uh Oh shit! Next but week. You know for a fact I'm going to keep making Hamilton references. There'll be something to do with Hamilton, probably. Yeah, I mean he's a founding father. So, <clears throat> what really pushed the U.S. into action is something called the Zimmerman Telegram. Mm-hmm. Germany sent the Zimmerman Telegram to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Now, in the 1900s, even after the American Civil War, um, do you know like the, most of the southern states? Like California and Texas and places like that had been te- Mexico before then. Kind of. They've been owned by the, Mex- um, the Mexican Empire, I believe it was called at that time. Because there were. I, did, like, I didn't know exactly, but I knew that America before it was like was used to be a lot bigger, a lot smaller. I mean, mm. Mexico used to be bigger. Mexico. And it was like it was essentially the West Coast, wasn't it? Like West pretty much, to Mid Coast. Pretty much. Anything like um, East West? No, wait. East Coast. Everything East Coast was America. Mm-hmm. Everything West Coast uh, was pretty much Mexico. All you've got to do is look at up. the look at the names of the states currently. So places up in the north in the northwest, like Idaho, is clearly like a an Iroquois word, like an old a Native American word. Okay. Yeah. And Wyoming and places yeah. like that. Whereas you go southwest. Oh, wait. What? Because Kansas and Arkansas mm-hmm. have the same word in it in them. Yeah. But they're said differently. Mm-hmm. Is that? Do you know the reasoning behind maybe. that? Is I don't that know. Because I can't the whole Mexico. Ar- Arkansas probably was a French colony, maybe. Because Arkansas, either. I'll, I'll I'll get into that when we do the uh, discovery of America next week. <laughs> um, but <laughs> South, really helpful. Southwest yeah. America, you just got to think like California, um, Texas, well, Los Angeles. New- when was Los Angeles really a thing? Was that? I don't know. Because just the name isn't. Is 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 um, Spanish? Yeah, 
Arizona, Arizona, uh, New Mexico. All of these places were originally Mexico. Because you've got cities in it like Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. um, Santa Monica. Santa Monica. Well, that's California. But yeah. So they were all originally Mexico until not really that long ago, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. So Germany sent the Zimmerman telegram to Mexico, offering to help it recover some southern U.S. states in exchange for, you know, taking the USA out of the equation. Um, this was intercepted by British intelligence officers and presented to the U.S. Embassy. Mm -hmm. And Woodrow Wilson, the president, went, right. <laughs> Come on in, Germany. Mexico didn't join the war, as it happens. Mm -hmm. But that was the Germans' plot. So, on the 6th of April, 1917, the United States declared war. Oh. Um, they had what's called the Selective Service Act, because while at the, at the time the America had a, a very small standing military of about 100,000 soldiers, but it had the Selective Service Act, which was essentially a draft law. So they managed to draft 2.8 million soldiers, and they were sending 10,000 fresh soldiers to France every day. Jeez. Every day. And the Germans thought they could defeat Britain and France before the Americans reinforced them. Because obviously there's no planes really at this, to at this point, no transport planes, they had to sail them all over. So, we come to the 1918 German Spring Offensive. Um, there are several operations within <clears throat> the German Spring Offensive. Operation Michael, it was called. I don't know why it's called Michael, it's not particularly German. But it was an attempt to divide the British and French forces with a series of tactically planned advances uh, in the lines of the trenches. It was the first time the Germans implemented what's called stormtroopers. Mm -hmm. Not imperial stormtroopers. But no. I suppose they were imperial because it was a German. What about snowtroopers and jet troopers? No, not, not, troopers. not yet. <laughs> so what the stormtroopers would do is uh, they would have a much shorter... Because normally it's a huge amount of bombardment and then everyone just runs across no man's land and gets mowed down. Mm -hmm. So obviously you can see the development of uh, new types of warfare. Um, shorter bombardments, and then the stormtroopers, smaller groups of men, so they're not as easily trackable, would infiltrate trenches at weak points with, small, with, yeah, with smaller numbers of men and take out areas that way up before the next big advance comes. Yeah. Cause a lot of chaos and then allow, allow this to, to, allow the German line to advance. But because of the huge, the huge gains they got, they got about 60 kilometers in like a couple of days. Um, because of this, they were unable to consolidate their gains. The new front line was much further away, obviously. So resupply was difficult. And a lot of it was over massively impassable terrain because it, the, the, these areas had, had the shit bombed out of them. Like the, the trucks and the tanks couldn't get over it. And like horses couldn't get through it. So it was very difficult to resupply. Um, <clears throat> so they kind of had to leave it because when uh, the English counterattacked, it didn't, it didn't go well because they didn't have any supplies. Everyone was hungry, had no bullets. Uh, other operations were Operation Georgette, which was to attack the English Channel ports. That's a naval attack. Um, operations Blücher and York, which to push towards Paris. In fact, the line came within 120 kilometers of Paris. People in Paris started to flee, started to leave Paris because they thought that they were going to be bombarded. You just imagine just having to Living in Paris, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You hate Paris. I do hate Paris. I don't, want it I don't want it wiped off the face of the earth, though. No, um, no, no. I'm just, I, I, it's just funny how you said, like, oh, bloody Paris. I was just like, well, you hate Paris, so... An Operation Marne, which was to... The plan was to encircle Reims, another French city. Mm -hmm. Now, these all went you know, relatively well. 
but they didn't go quite as quite as well as Germany might have wanted. So the Allies counterattacked because obviously the German uh, forces, the German attack was stifled because of these resupply problems, and the Allies began what's called the Hundred Days Offensive. The Hundred Days War. The Hundred Days Offensive, the eighth of August, nineteen eighteen. Now, if you if you know anything about history, you'll know that the war ended sort of early November. Mm-hmm. And pretty much nothing had happened for the first three years. It was these offensives that really ended the war. Because the 8th of August, it's about two months, three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, as you probably know, the Allied attacks had been very poorly uh, commanded. Uh, Erich Lutendorff and Paul von Hindenburg, the German commanders, had a much easier time of it because they, just, they were better commanders. So, a gentleman called Ferdinand Fock, or Foch, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Foch, probably. F-O-C-C-H. Was Foch? Ferdinand Foch, yeah. That's how I'd say it in, in he, Welsh. <laughs> he was a Frenchman. Mm-hmm. He became the supreme commander of the Allied offensive. Not just the French, but the Allied offensive. Because obviously before that it was Haig for the British and Kitchener. And now it's, now it's Ferdinand Foch. He's number one. Um, everyone else has control of their own separate armies, but he kind of directs and, and advises. So, we come to the Battle of Amiens, which was uh, part of the Hundred Days Offensive, which was, it just showcased their new, um, their new style of offensive. So they attacked the Germans, they did very well. Once the German forces had held them back after the initial advances, they would stop and direct their attention elsewhere, which is something they didn't do before. They would just keep fighting, keep fighting, try and keep driving them back, and they would just incur massive amounts of casualties because of this. So they stopped doing that and they just started attacking the weak points, which really started driving the Germans back. Then you had the Battle of Albert, which widened the assault. So about 68 mile wide assault on the German line. Uh, attack, yeah, with the French, the Ger- joined the French here. And this was so successful, 100 Days Offensive, that the Germans had to withdraw to what's called the Hindenburg Line. You heard of the, heard of the Hindenburg Line? I know about the Hindenburg. The Hindenburg was a man. Mm-hmm. Um, the... The airship was named after him, as you know, because yes. I said it in a previous episode. Yeah, that's how I The Hindenburg know. line was also named after him. It was this huge line of defences from Arras to Soissons-sur-Aigne, which is like a very long, like 100, 200 miles, of these really built-up defences. Because this hasn't been the front line for, for ages. So yeah. they've, in 1916, they decided, let's build up this, this big line, so if, the, if worse comes to worse, we can defend, at the very least. It's the last big defensive position before, sort of, Berlin and just the German countryside. Um, but Germany began to lose oh. because, of obviously, they, just could, they couldn't deal with these American soldiers coming in, 10,000 every day, just fresh soldiers and fresh supplies. So they began to start fighting a very defensive war, which is to try and allow a stalemate or white peace. And, but basically, they knew they couldn't win the war, so they tried to make sure that they did not lose the war. Yeah. And then, basically, the final assault on the Hindenburg Line began. It was called the Meuse-Argonne Offensive. So the France and USA, they, they became like a joint troop. Uh, they wanted the Battle of Blanc-Mont Blanc- Ridge. Uh, Great Britain and its Dominion troops, so Canada New Zealand, they won at the Battle of Cambrai. And at this point, the Ottomans had been entirely defeated from within, as we mentioned, because of the Arab Revolt. Austria-Hungary was on the verge of defeat by the Italians, because they were fighting. They didn't do very well. 
They'd been fighting against the Russians and the Serbians and the Italians, and they just couldn't hold it anymore. And they weren't, they weren't as well commanded as the Germans. So they had kind of capitulated. Even though they started the war, they didn't do very well. So at this point, it's pretty much just the Germans who are fighting in Europe against the Americans, the French, the Romanians, the Greeks, the British, and all these many different troops. So, yeah, it's not going well for Germany. What, what sort of thing do you think is going to happen? People die. Oh, yeah, but... Um, if you, from, from they do what everyone, like, fucking needs to do when it comes to a war. Sit down and talk. Well, that only became a thing sort of in the 20th century. We're in the 20th century. Later in the 20th century. Oh, this is, this is, the Great War is the last sort of... Imperial. Let's not talk about it, let's just fight about it. It's the last imperial war. You know, the British Empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the German Empire, the Ottoman Empire, the Russian Empire, all these empires are fighting each other. In World War II... We didn't have an empire now, do we, really? No. We, we gave away the last of our... No, no I just mean there's no current empire. Um, is there? No. No, there isn't. There's kingdoms, but there's no empires. Yeah. Because imperialism is a force for evil, so... They decided that maybe let's get rid of this. Yeah, let's stop. Um, and call it America. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, well, we'll do America next week on Iron History. If you're enjoying this episode of Iron History, make sure you subscribe and give us a rating. Uh, five stars, ideally. But, you know, if you don't think we deserve five stars, then don't give us five stars. Oh, I'm just taking notes. Because he knows I'm going to give him a test. No, I'm not. Oh. Also, excuse me, you said that to me last week um, that you, you were only doing a test for me because I wanted the 100, 100 years war that was an you ag- didn't want to do the 100 years war that was an agreement war. we had before that, yeah. that I, you said I don't, I don't want to do a test I'm like you're doing a test I'm like well if I'm doing a test you're doing the 100 years war and I said okay fine yeah but now you don't want to do the 100 years war so do you still want to do the test yeah. I'm happy enough to call it a truce and like not do a quiz I, and not do 100 well, years war I will do the 100 years war just not this season <laughs> See that I feel like Oh come out. on, look, it's a really nice I feel like it's a really out. <laughs> That's all. It's just a really nice what and you're not chickening out by having a quiz. I don't want a quiz, I'm gonna lose. Well that's not the point. The point is you we we show how good my teaching is. Or bad, you know? Yeah. That's that's what I want. You know what should happen each episode then? What's that? I actually take notes each episode and then at the end of the episode you go over with me. So what happened then I'll be like this, this this and this and you'll be like that's correct RJ you're gonna have Not to s- just assume I'll retain all the information you're gonna have to just swat up a little bit <sighs> can you name me a king of Wales can I name you a king <laughs> of Wales Llewellyn what of David no that's wrong unfortunately hey I remember the fact that <laughs> little, there little was snippet. a Llewellyn. I remember there was a Llewellyn and it's, oh, it's like four like, Llewellyns like, shut the fuck up alright I know it was like the, the, instead of it being like a, fan, a surname kind of thing, uh-huh. it was like a a, a class name, so not class, but like it would be like R J of Davis. Um, it was your father's name. Yeah. So anything. you'd be like for of you would technically be the middle name, but it wasn't a middle name. Well, you, if if we if we were in old Wales, your last name would be At Brian. Because oh, your yeah, father's your name father's, is Brian. Yeah, there we are. But yeah, that's which what I, I think your that would develop into just. And that was the episode I fell asleep in at one point because I was so tired. I shouldn't admit that, but alright. You shouldn't. If you enjoy listening to (laughs) Archie, 
losing his shit. Loses his mind at my, my twisted logic. Make sure you listen and subscribe to the Kaparaji podcast and the three episodes of the Unintentional podcast that came out in the Christmas break. Yeah. I've just uh, got a lot of stuff two planned. two episodes came out because the other two files weren't missing during a whole... There was three? Like Didn't you... you, have, you there gave... was the Kaparaji pilot in the first episode of Unintentional podcast. The Kaparaji pilot. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you subscribe to him and give him a rating. I gave him a rating. Great. I Thank like you. him. I mean, while I have been on a lot of his podcasts. I was on the most recent episode of your podcast. Yes, you we were talked about New Year's. Comes out. No. We talked about New Year's resolutions, or the episode no, two. No, actually, of the it was you on episode one. You, um, it was two weeks. It yeah, it's all, weeks it's all, it was all out, wasn't it? Yeah, it's all out of sync at the minute. So I was in confusing. the first episode of RJ's season, season two. Uh, season two. Yeah. Um, I think RJ wanted me on because I was on four episodes oh, last season, season one, and I was pretty yeah. much thirty percent of the episodes. Yeah. Uh, new podcast coming to podmage.com, A different kind of casting. Book Club starts in February, mm-hmm. along with a new podcast coming shortly after that, uh, written by me and a few others. Produced by me, I should be saying. Also, if you enjoy Dungeons & Dragons, which I do a lot, make sure you listen to The Rhyme Quest, hosted by our very own Tom Stickler, yes. whose house we're in right now. Podmage.com, a different kind of casting. Casting or casting? What sounds it depends bad? where you're For from. For a jingle, would it be like, Podmage.com, a different kind of casting. In your in your accent, casting sounds better because it's casting, casting sounds really incongruous. Because you go podmage.com, a different kind of casting. 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 I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm putting on the Welsh just a little bit. But if uh, I was if I was doing podmage.com, a different kind of casting. 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 I, I, I say podmage.com, a different kind of casting, because I'm English. Here we go. So, <laughs> coming into 1918, RJ, Bulgaria, who was also an ally of Germany, signed an armistice with the Allies in late September. Mm-hmm. And Ludendorff, the German commander uh, of the German army, had a nervous breakdown. Fun. So, yeah, that, that's really going to send your troops a good message <laughs> if your commander-in-chief is literally having a nervous breakdown. Uh, he tried to resign as commander-in-chief to Kaiser Wilhelm, but Kaiser Wilhelm was like, Nah, mate, get out there and win this war. I know you can do it. Um, Prince Maximilian of Baden took charge as the Chancellor in Germany. Um, people had lost faith in the Kaiser and Maximilian denied Ludendorff. No, sorry, that's who it was. Prince Maximilian, the Chancellor, had d- denied Ludendorff's request. Um, and also, Ludendorff came to him with these completely suicidal plans. Um, so like he appealed for potentially suicidal naval advances and said, look, let's, let's go force our way out here. And Maximilian was like, no, mate, let's just try not to all die. Um, with the military faltering and no resistance to the new government, uh, Maximilian of Baden entered peace talks with President Wilson. So it's going really badly for Germany. It's amazing how quickly Germany completely capitulated. From, as I said, like three months earlier to this, they, they were still fighting like a decent war and there was trench warfare going on. The Americans came in and just went, right, let's win this war now. Let's end it. And it really was over that quickly. Um, yeah, Maximilian entered peace talks with President Wilson. Now, he entered peace talks with President Wilson because he believed he'd get much better terms from Wilson rather than um, Fock or Lloyd George because Lloyd George and the French guys didn't like Germany because they invaded them and they didn't fight in a war. What his demands were, what Wilson's demands to uh, Maximilian of Baden was a constitutional monarchy, which is what we have in Britain, so a parliament uh, around, like a parliament acting on behalf of the king or queen, 
and parliamentary control over the German military. Because prior to this, uh, there was, it was an absolute monarchy. Kaiser Wilhelm could just do what he wanted. Like, I want to declare this war. Um, there's a gentleman called Philip Scheidemann, who was a political leader. And he, along with Friedrich Ebert, took power after Baden resigned and in a spontaneous speech declared the old and rotten, the monarchy has collapsed. The new may live, long live the German Republic. So Imperial Germany was well and truly dead. The war's over because they just, they just couldn't keep going. They essentially ran out of money as everyone does. So yeah, that's the end of World War I. But as always, there's some, uh, there's some housekeeping to do. Um, the armistice was signed on the 11th of November 1918. Oh. It dictated that all Allied prisoners were to be released. German troops were to evacuate the Rhineland, which is a, a strip of land between Germany and France. The French and British occupation of the Rhineland. The surrender of all naval artillery and, and aerial power. However, the armistice did not mention anything about the release of German troops. And this went on for a bit. This armistice was signed, um, kind of unilaterally, really. The Germans didn't really have a choice. Um, this was ratified in 1919 with the Treaty of what, RJ? Valheim. Are you trying, are you trying to read what I've written? No. No, you... you Versailles. <laughs> the Treaty of Versailles. Was that... <laughs> the Treaty of Versailles. I knew it was verse something. Now, Germany got... Now, I, I just want to point out that the Treaty of Versailles started World War II. That's the, that's the problem with it. It was, it was a ridiculous treaty. It was unacceptable, but the Germans had to accept it. Yeah. The amount of... It's the one that um, bankrupted them, pretty much, wasn't it? Yeah. And they only recently paid it off in, in like, 2006? Something like that. And it was very um, symbolic. See, I do listen. I just... Yeah. This is when I can spit your information back, not on a quiz. It was uh, very symbolic when Hitler took power and he tore up the Treaty of Versailles. Mm -hmm. Basically said, nah. And no one did anything about it. Actually, no one did anything about it. They just went, oh, all right. Now, the amount of territorial losses the Germans had was incredible. In the Treaty of Versailles, it laid out the formation of the League of Nations. Now, in the first ever episode of I Don't Know History, I incorrectly told Arjun that the League of Nations was formed after 1945. The League of Nations, sorry, Arjun, the League of Nations was formed in 1919 after World War One, Which, uh, wait, wait, after World War II. After World War One, the League of Nations. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The United Nations came into being in 1946. After, yeah, after World the War II. The League of Nations became. Because the, the League of Nations, Japan was involved in as well, all because they were sending messages for, on the behalf of Britain during World War One. Yeah, Japan was on our side. Yeah, I know that. And then they were like, nah, <coughs> fuck you, World War Two. <laughs> so let me just run you through the enormous list of territorial losses that Germany had. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the region of Yupen Malmadi to Belgium. The Saar region was given to the League of Nations. Not, not any specific country, but the League of Nations itself. Alsace-Lorraine was given to France, where it had, where it had stayed since. Now, Alsace-Lorraine's an interesting place because they're sort of, the people there are either ethnically French or German. Nationality-wise, they're French because it's France. But do you know Arsene Wenger, the manager of Arsenal Football Club? Yes. You know he's got a slightly odd accent. No, I, I mean, I've heard these names spat around. Well, think about his uh, name. I don't, do, I don't uh, listen to Think sports. about his name. Arsène, very, very French. Wenger, very yeah. German. He's from Alsace-Lorraine. Oh, okay. So that's, that's the sort of thing you get there. Um, Schleswig-Holstein was given to Denmark. 
It's right up in the north. Uh, Upper Silesia was given to Czechoslovakia. They also had to recognize Czechoslovakia's independence because they had not. Because there's a lot of German, native, uh, ethnic Germans in Czechoslovakia. They just thought it was part of Germany. Uh, Poznan, Pomerania, and parts of South Prussia were to be given to Poland. And they also had to recognize its independence. So there's this long strip of Poland between... It's, it's very strange, the geography at this point. There's Germany, and then there's Poland next to it, and then there's more Germany. <clears throat> so you have this bit called the Polish Corridor, which goes from this, the sea to... Like, Germany's split in two. It's really odd. And then Danzig, modern-day Gdansk in Poland, was also given to the League of Nations to be established as a free city, which is very, something you don't see anymore. It doesn't belong to any country. It's kind of owned and operated by the League of Nations, much like the Tsar region. As well as this, all the colonial claims had to be given up to other League of Nations members. So Togoland and Cameroon, modern-day Togo and Cameroon. Togo? I thought you said Togoland. I was like, no. what? <laughs> Togoland. There is a land. Isn't that just Greece? <laughs> to is that culturally offensive? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Sorry to any Greek people listening. Tweet me, please. Let uh, me know. Togoland and Cameroon. Cameroon was spelt differently at that point. Was given to France. That's why people in Cameroon speak French now. And Togoland became Togo. Uh, Rwanda and Burundi were given to Belgium. Uh, the German, German South West Africa was given to the Republic of South Africa. Now that's now Namibia. And Namibia is? Yes. Yeah? And German East Africa was given to Great Britain. Uh, at the time, it was, it became what's called Tanganyika. It's now Tanzania. Uh, other things that the Treaty of Versailles said, that the military, they could not have a standing army of over 100,000 men. The Rhineland was demilitarized. No troops were allowed to be kept there. Uh, they were prohibited from, uh, from the arms trade. They could not buy guns or bombs or ships or anything. And they were not allowed to construct tanks, planes, or chemical weapons. So they basically were to have a standing army of about 100,000, and that's it. They were completely demilitarized. Because people were afraid of, of, of Germany coming after them again. Um, here's the one you mentioned, the reparations. Uh, at the time, it was about $6.6 .6 billion need to be paid to the Allies to help pay for occupation costs and damages done during the war. Now, $6.6 billion is, you know, it's a lot of money these days. Um, but in 1919, it was, it was an unbelievable amount of money. Uh, it, it's about, oh, I need to check this, actually. It might be in the trillions. Because, if, you know, if, if a country these days was expected to pay back $6.6 .6 million dollars, that's... The inflation must be crazy. Yeah. $6.6 million in 1919. Let's have a little looky. This is why Alexa would have come in handy in here. Yeah, but she ain't here. How so. much is it? 6.6 .6 billion. 6.6 .6 billion. 96... Uh, oh, God. I wonder if certain things have gone down in price for, say, like, different currencies. Like, typically with, it's about with pounds yeah. and dollars, you always get everything going up because of inflation. Yeah. But there's got to be stuff, like, that goes down in inflation. Not down in inflation, but deflation. Deflation? That's a thing, right? A hundred billion dollars. 
pretty much this in this day and age. Yeah, I know, right? So I was just thinking about the fact that say like Bitcoin, Bitcoin was massive before, like at eighteen grand, like and technically deflation has got it. Is it deflation or is that just it's, it's like stock, isn't it? I'm not sure. Where you after? I just want to see how long we've been going for. We've been going for nearly forty minutes. Okay, this might be a short one. Then. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, that's fine. Are you nearly done? Yeah, I may have covered slightly more than half of World War One last <laughs> time, but it was—it's too long for one episode. It's way That's too long fine. for one episode. Um, um, also, as a side note, we apologise that this episode is actually a week late. Um, oh yeah, our schedule has been a bit backwards, so we thought it'd be better to take a week off and then try to get one episode ahead of ourselves to uh, just to catch everything up. Yes. Yes. Next week, we will actually have a guest with us, hopefully, uh, as long as everything goes smoothly. Oh, really? Uh, yes, we will be visited by the wonderful Portia McGrath. Uh, who, oh, yeah. Uh, will, the topic, uh, I cannot remember what the topic will be about. Uh, you said you had some... Oh, it's, yes. Columbus uh, and the Discovery of America. Spoilers. Yes. I don't care. Uh, I'll tell people. That's fine. I, I mean, you told me at the coffee yesterday, so... That's true. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we'll yeah, have a on the show next week uh, with Portia, who is... Extremely Welsh. That was a. I burped halfway through that. It's gonna be difficult for some people if they're foreign. Yeah, Maybe so like if Siggy's luck. listening. Hmm? If Siggy's listening. Oh my god, Siggy! No, it'll be fine. Like he last at the he, the best. He was watching a how to do a Welsh accent video, yeah. and he's okay. Everyone, my friend Siggy's from Norway. Uh, he came here to study and wanted to do a Welsh accent, so he started watching videos on how to do it. And the guy said the best thing to practice on is. Orange crayon. <laughs> so I've got to get Portia to say orange crayon next week now. Orange crayon. Orange crayon. You've got the many R's and the orange crayon. Anyway, <laughs> carry on with your story. And, My uh, story? Subscribe to, uh, not your story, your history. Uh, history. It's where the word history comes from. Very good. Yeah, carry on with this. It also led to the creation of the League of Nations, as I mentioned. (laughs) The Treaty of Versailles we were talking about. Now, the biggest thing that came out of the Treaty of Versailles was something I probably mentioned in the World War II episode, was the War Guilt Clause. Mm -hmm. Let me just read the War Guilt Clause to you. The Allied and Associated Governments affirm and Germany accepts the responsibility of Germany and her allies for causing all the loss and damage to which the Allied and Associated Governments and their nationals have been subjected as to as a consequence of the war imposed upon them by the aggression of Germany and her allies. Mm-hmm. The, the, the important word there is all, for causing all the loss and damage. Now, it's not... They, they completely leave Austria-Hungary. They get left alone. I mean, they, they get turned into Austria and Hungary and... And empire stops being a thing after this, really. That, that, that is an interesting point, actually. After World War One, empire stopped really existing. There were no empires. Yeah. Yeah, the Soviet Union, so the Russian Empire was gone. The, the French Empire had been gone already. We had... The Third Reich was trying to get up there. <laughs> well, yeah, but they didn't do particularly well. Yeah, no. the last 12 years. They were like, oh, wait, that one failed. The Austro-Hungarian not... Empire was gone. The Ottoman Empire was gone. There were no Ottoman Turks anymore. They were let, ruled by Arabic people. But there are Ottomans in everyone's house now. Not everyone's. I have a nice Ottoman. I think I have an Ottoman. 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 What are they? Are they the? Are they the poofs? Or are they the dresses? The drawers. Kind of um, like a drawer, isn't it? Yeah, it's like uh, in between. 
those two things. It's like a thing you can sit on, but it also opens up and you can put stuff in it. Yeah, okay, there we go. That's, yeah. That's an ottoman. Because uh, you, you also call them a poofy. We don't, we're actually going to mention the Ottoman Turks uh, in the next episode because... Did they make the Ottoman? Yeah, that's, that's where it originated. Okay. I just also, sure they, a different the Ottoman Empire had been around four centuries. Oh. From about 1453, the Ottomans took Constantinople mm-hmm. and the Ottoman Empire had existed for 500 years before World War One, and World War One just destroyed it. It's gone now. Jesus. Um, yeah. It's a proper, like, World War One completely changed the landscape of the world. It changed warfare. It changed how countries saw themselves. Like I said, there were no empires anymore. The Russian Empire was gone. There was the Soviet Union, and after that, it was. I mean, the, the Soviet Union. You you could consider that as a sort of empire because it's got so many satellite states. The only one that really exists right now is the British Empire. What existed at the point of the end of the World War One was the British Empire because it had it still owned uh, like Canada. I didn't own Canada. It pretty much did. It was Dominion, mm-hmm. and it owned lots of these African places. Hong but Kong? Well, didn't we only Hong get Kong, to start yes. owning Hong Kong uh, in India, like the 90s? But by, by the 40s, everything was gone. Um, when did yeah. we give up? We gave up Hong Kong like properly in the 90s, but... Late 90s, yeah. Was that ownership or was that like... We gave it back to China, yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure completely because they're like... Austra- we don't own Australia. Australia own themselves. We did. But we have... Well, we used to own them, but now they're like the, part of the Commonwealth. That's why the Union flag is in the, is in the corner of there. Yeah. Same um, with New Zealand. Yeah. And do you know what the old Canadian flag used to be? Or was it the it's same? A red background with the Union flag. There was no maple leaf. That's a, that's oh, a, weird. That's less than 100 years old. God, nice. Mm. like that. Who's looked at the... They must have been exporting a lot of maple to like... Yeah, maple syrup is like their main thing. No, I know. We just They must have gone like, what's Canada's thing? <laughs> got maple. A lot of, got a lot of maple, Treasy. <laughs> Why don't we put that on the flag? But Sorry, the, I mean, Canadians. I'm no, doing like Wales a. Whales put doing a dragon. The, we'll put maple. <laughs> I mean, if a dragon got stuck in maple, it'd be fucked. <laughs> so this is um, like the the Rogue One to the Star Wars Episode Four now, because there's going to be some overlap with the first, with the beginning of the World War Two episode. Yeah. We could have like sorted this out. Probably we could have done this in order. <laughs> I think it's more interesting this way. I know, but it is kind of funny now. Like, so after the Treaty of Versailles... It is like watching Rogue yeah. One after, uh, <laughs> after A New Hope. After the Treaty of Versailles was signed, the German government became what's called the Weimar government. Do you remember that? Yeah. Remember the Weimar government? It completely destabilized the German political landscape. Or there is a, de- a destabilized German political landscape because it's new democracy. And new democracies never really work to start with. Uh, an absolutely ruined economy. Mm-hmm. Economy's like, economy's fucked. In Germany, because they've got to pay six point six billion dollars, and they've just spent all their money on the war as well. Um, resentful German people—they didn't want this democracy. It was foisted on them by the French and the British. There was a lot of communism became a thing. Uh, alt right—we call it alt right now—but it's uh, fascism became a thing, as you yeah. know, with the NSDAP. And there were massive amounts of unemployment because all the soldiers came back, and there was nothing for them to do. And where, historians don't necessarily think this, but I, I think this. Like, whether or not they, they meant it to, the unjust terms of the Treaty of Versailles inadvertently caused World War II. Because without it, Germany would just chugged along as normal. They would have become an Austria or a Hungary. But that being said, with the whole fact that wasn't Hitler, like, 
in the middle of doing stuff at this point anyway wasn't he trying to like because he was still hating the fact that immigrants were in his country well in 1919 um, yeah he just come back from the war oh yeah Hitler was a co- it's from here on in that he starts doing that because he starts like hating the whole immigration. He joins thing. the he joins he, the uh, the German the DAP in nineteen nineteen. And then starts doing good things financially mm-hmm. for Germany and then just is a racist. Oh no, there's there's a one murders but between nineteen nineteen and when he became the Chancellor in nineteen thirty three, all he is is just a politician. Yeah. He's not in power. Yeah. No, I could I also I also want to point out that I was listening to the World War Two episode the other day. Yeah. And I mentioned that I misspoke when I said what rank Hitler was. This is this is like six months ago we recorded this, but yeah. I said that Hitler was an army colonel. He was not an army colonel. He was a corporal, oh, right. which is literally yeah. just like one up from regular soldier. <laughs> Whereas a colonel's like proper commander rank. They don't go to war. They just sit in offices and tell people how to, how to go to war. So I, World War One is a much more complicated beast than World War Two. Um, do you think you got a good understanding of it, RJ? Yeah, uh, a decent amount. It's, it's. I'd say it's harder to understand. Well, of, well, that's the point of it, isn't it? It's yeah. really complicated the way the compared w- to like World War Two, which is these are the specific reasons mm-hmm. that World War Two happened. Whereas World War One is kind of like uh, everyone was tense anyway, and someone shot someone, and then it's like, oh well, fuck you too. Jeff, it's, World War Two, like everyone yeah. was being passive. You know when everyone's kind of in a mood with uh-huh. each other, everyone's being uh-huh. passive aggressive. It, like the whole room is like, yeah, like pissed off at each other, but not everyone in the, mm-hmm. like specifically. Like some people will be pissed off at one person and vice versa. Everything. It's like someone accidentally knocks over someone else's drinks and they start fighting. Be like, no, you've been always been trying to fucking start this. It's been like that. Whereas um, World War Two was like, how the fuck is everyone angry at each other? And this blew up over a spilt drink. Whereas in this case, it all started because of a sandwich and a wrong car turning. Whereas World War Two was. Germany started doing a bunch of bad stuff yeah. and everyone declared war on them. Yeah. Um, World War One sounds like a Monty Python sketch. World War Two is literally Star Wars. It's re- yeah, like I, I always say it's really interesting to look at Europe particularly, pre World War One and post World War One and how completely different policy like p- politics were. Because in the nineteenth century you still had like what what was happening in the eighteen hundreds, the Civil War in America. Yeah, you had you in the middle of the industrial revolution. Um, Europe was fun. colonialism. God, Europe was a completely God. different shape. <sighs> yeah. Would okay from like looking at history, with the whole fact of say like the European Union. Mm-hmm. Was it would it have been because of World War Two and the devastating effects of it that people stopped continuously raging wars in Europe, uh, or would you say the whole political stability of say like the European Union and the United Nations being introduced would be a reason why well, I think people it's, stopped raging wars in I Europe. think it's, they both contribute because mm-hmm. the United Nations and the League of Nations the League of Nations wasn't as effective as they wanted it to be the United Nations brought about um, an age of political cooperation as opposed to we're all doing our own thing if you like it then great if you don't we'll have yeah. a war and also Prior to World War One, no one had like bombs. No one had bombs that could like level a city and chemical weapons that could destroy, like destroy the bodies of two hundred people. And no one had machine guns that could kill three hundred people a minute. No one had tanks. True, very true. All they had was cannons, and a musket that could fire one bullet every minute, and horses. So I don't put regulations on ourselves. 
Basically, that's what that's what the Hague Convention was signed as well, as much as anything. Yeah. Well, and people that real, was... people realized the destructive power of war, and then thought maybe maybe we shouldn't do it. That's a lovely episode of I don't know history. It's going to be happier next time, I promise. Good, I promise. It's Thank you for be. listening. Oh, really, Christopher Columbus, the slaughterer of Haiti. I mean, we'll gloss over that. <laughs> He didn't discover America! Sorry, these are spoilers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Animal History. If you Tune like this, in next week if you want to know more. <laughs> if you like this podcast, please make sure you listen to the last nine episodes. If you like RJ, please make sure you listen to cover RJ. Yeah. Leave us a rating. Leave us a... Co- uh, not a comment. Yeah, comment, because you can comment on those ratings. Subscribe. Uh, visit podmage.com. Follow at podmage. Follow at cover RJ. Follow at Alex Akili. And uh, or you, you let's could, just easily run this. Down. You could, uh, if you want to review us, you can review us. <laughs> if you want to follow Kaparaji Podcast, you can follow that. Uh, but follow at Podmage on Twitter and Instagram because we post a lot of stuff there, a lot of interesting stuff and little behind the scenes, cool shenanigans. If you want to start interacting with us, because that would be great for us. You can learn more. We can start telling you stuff directly, and you can recommend us episodes in the future. And if you want to give us money, there is a Patreon. Is it our Patreon? Yep. If you think what we do is worth being paid for, I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, at the minute, we've only got one thing on there, and that is just a $2 coffee intern thing. Just pay for a coffee, essentially, for us. That's just, uh, we're we're sorting out the Patreon at the minute, but it will be done. All right, cool. Well, like I said, thank you for listening. Please tune in next week. Uh, Have a lovely evening. Goodbye. Goodbye.